Hey, Jam Jam. This is probably, well, I shouldn't leave with this. This is a dick thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's probably one of my favorite moments of this podcast because I have on one of my best friends, uh, one of my childhood lovers, love hers, Ali B. Gory. And um, we kind of took a pause with the podcast for a minute because, you know, because we're in a pandemic and I had other shit to do. Um, but then I was thinking about our upcoming foci, if you will, and one of them is Shunya, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, and I thought Ali would be an incredible contribution to this conversation. And uh, we've just added a class called Adaptive Yoga. So we're really looking at a practice and how to, how to undo our assumptions about how yoga is done and maybe do it a bit better. So um, Ali is a genius and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pause there and let you share who the hell are you? Awesome. Um, <laughs> hey y'all, I'm Allie B. Gory and I'm a yogi and a yoga teacher and a performing artist um, and a disability inclusion advocate and consultant. So I primarily work with um, arts organizations, educators, businesses on making the world a better place for people with disabilities. Um, I myself happen to have a disability. I have low vision. Um, so I've navigated the world through uh, that lens or lenses for a while and uh, have learned from that. And I want to make sure that the world is not just more accessible for people with low vision, but uh, for folks with disabilities in general. So that's a little bit about me. Can you share a little bit about three things? One, yeah. um, Songs for Sight, two, Able series, and three, what you're currently doing, what you pivoted to, uh, and what you're currently doing with Brassfield and Corey. Yeah, yeah. So that's, those are so good. Um, I really, and it, it took this kind of pandemic to help me sort of realize my own advocacy journey. And it really started when I was a kid. Um, when I was 13, I founded an organization in my hometown in Birmingham called Songs for Sight that uh, gives kids with low vision uh, the technology they need to succeed in school. It gives them support groups and camps and, you know, time and, and, and uh, four different groups every year to be with other kids with low vision. Uh, most kids with disabilities uh, who are mainstreamed into the public school system don't know other kids with their same disability. So especially with low vision, there's fewer of us. And so it provides those opportunities. And then it also a portion of those funds goes to research so that uh, kids with eye disease and low vision uh, can, you know, there can be advances made there. <laughs> so that's Songs for Sight. I mean, that's when I really started, you know, I, it, you don't realize you're doing these things when you're a teenager and in high school, but you're like, oh, I, I, I was doing keynotes, but I didn't know they were called keynotes. I just thought it was, you know, speaking for the Kiwanis. Um, so little things like that. Um, and then I went to school, I studied musical theater. It's really interesting when you're in school because if you're studying any kind of art, um, they really tell you that you can't do anything else. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you're an advocate? Well, that'll have to wait four years because you're ours now. So, and that was fine, you know, like I was very into it, but I had to sort of put not my advocacy aside, but I, I just couldn't be as immersed as I was as a kid. So I did that for four years um, and then moved to New York and I realized there were um, big gaps that needed to be filled in the theater industry primarily, but I also worked and teamed up with a friend who also had uh, thoughts about these gaps of disability representation 
in entertainment and film, TV, et cetera. So we brainstormed and, and got a, a series together called ABLE that discusses disability inclusion in film, TV, theater, and entertainment. And it is a documentary series now on Amazon Prime. And it's so good and you need to go watch it. And really quickly, can you share, sorry, I know I had a third grasping on here, but oh, yeah. in between that, can you share about the show that you did that the name is, I'm losing the name, but the show you did that was an all-inclusive cast and kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Share about that. I've done a bunch actually, because like once you start doing work like that in New York, your standard for what jobs you'll take changes. Like once you're in a show with a cast that is dynamically um, representative of the world, you're like, oh, well, I don't want to do theater if it's the other way. So um, a few years ago, I did an off-Broadway show called Bastard Jones. And the cast was, um, there were, I think, 10 of us in the cast, maybe nine. I should count. It's not that hard. Um, but uh, the cast represented the demographics of America and race, sexuality, gender, and disability. So, you know, at the time, the stats were two in 10 Americans have a disability, a 20%. So there were two of us in the cast with a disability. Um, it was a show, you know, it was off Broadway. There were so many Broadway veterans in the show. You know, I, I, it was just unreal. But it was, you know, so representative of our world. And it, the show never commented on it. It never was like, hey, world, look how woke we are. We're doing this woke piece of theater and we're so cool and dynamic. And isn't it neat that we all look different? It never commented on it. And the show actually was like a rock and roll musical that took place in like, you know, the times when they were like the, you know, wigs and, and corsets, but like, who cared? We were black, white, Asian, disabled, trans, like it, it didn't matter. Um, and so that really changed the game for me in terms of like, oh, if I'm not combining art and advocacy and like doing projects like this, then like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> it, um, I swear we're going to get to Brassfield and Corey, but it does, I, I was talking to a friend about growing, because you and I both grew up in Alabama and how growing up, I mean, there are Confederate statues everywhere. Then this is different in terms of like, we're talking about race and, and inclusion sure. in that regard, but um, I was saying that, like, as a kid, growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, civil rights epicenter, that never struck me as weird. And um, it wasn't until the last two years that I'm like, oh, fuck, like, that is so weird. Like, you don't go to Germany and there's there's statues of Hitler. And yeah. so this theme, um, Shunya, which, like, the definition we're working with is the blank state of ultimate reality it's not to be filled, but rather the clearest point to exist from after deep work. And I feel like as a country, we're going through this deep work of like dismantling, tearing down to reside in a, in a void that's not a negative thing, but it's like the equal space, you know, or the, the blank space of equality. And um, I feel like that is very analogous to like, when we go to theater and we see all white, able-bodied, skinny people, we don't, we didn't before question like, well, like nobody in my life looks like that. You know, <laughs> like I have one friend who looks like that and then everybody else looks like everybody else, you know, just a variety of being. And so I, I find that I was so amazed by that show and I didn't get to see it, but the images that came out because it, it really did like bring to the forefront, similar to the, the statues of like, oh yeah, like that's not real. This is real. Like this is how it is. And we don't go around commenting on it. That's just how 
that's the void we should we actually live in so anyway loved loved everything about that okay and brass field and glory oh yeah so now um i you know pandemics happen i guess and um <laughs> never thought i'd say that phrase uh but they do and i was living in new york my lease ended and at the end of april and it just doesn't make sense. There's no theater industry at the moment. There probably won't be one for another year. Um, and I decided I need to pivot. And I actually have a mentor in New York that I've been giving a bunch of, you know, or I've been using this past year to form my own um, inclusion consulting business. So I, I speak to keynote, or so I, do, I give keynotes at organizations and consult with businesses. And so that, um, those seeds have been planted, but um, there was a job opening in the corporate responsibility department um, at Brassfield and Gory, a construction company down here in the Southeast. Um, and corporate responsibility is just like a fancy corporate word for equity, diversity, <laughs> diversity and inclusion. Uh, I don't, I, whatever names, I, I'm just trying to do the work and not think about that. But um, it was, it's, it's right now how I'm kind of using my advocacy skills in a different light and it's tricky and challenging and good and, I'm figuring it out, you know? I think one of the things you and I connect with a ton on is Brene Brown. I think we have a whole thread from maybe whole four years ago. There. Yeah. <laughs> we probably have a whole epic thread about Brene Brown quotes from about four years ago. And um, I, I think what you're doing so beautifully is embracing the hyphen and like what you learned in college wasn't true and that you can, you can be all those things. They're just in each other's respective time frames and like I think as your friend you know this is going to be one two years that will be very formative but also a blip on the radar of all that you do so that's what we have to remind ourselves I, I like you know I've been in New York for five years and it feels like five minutes so I'm like this will pass like this is it feels like every day is a little long at the moment but uh <laughs> in the grand scheme it'll be just fine just fine. So what you hit on there with Brassfield and Gory um, and like the department that you're in, equity, inclusion, and diversity. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about going back to low vision mm -hmm. and where maybe disability lies in equity, inclusion, and diversity and your experience of that, maybe improving my language on that. Yeah. Just kind of Go, go hoard, girl, go hoard on it. <laughs> well, typically, I mean, let's be real. For all of you who are watching, uh, the millions of you who subscribe to this podcast, by the way, millions. Billions. Billions. <laughs> um, so we know often in when, when corporate, you know, or companies talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, a lot of times we're talking about race, we're talking about gender, we might talk about age or like, you know, sexuality. But like disability is rarely in the mix. Disability um, typically gets the last seat at any equity, diversity, and inclusion table. Um, and it's really interesting because, you know, people with disabilities make up the largest minority in the world. We're actually 26% of the people in the United States. Um, and disability is, um, like it's the only club anyone can join at any time. It doesn't, ca it doesn't matter if you're gay, if you're white, if you're black, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, something could happen to you tomorrow and you're in the club. So it, it's interesting because it is still very behind in the fight for true inclusion. And everyone's like, oh, we have acts like the ADA. We have these laws, right? That 
that make the world more accessible. But the truth is accessible doesn't mean inclusive. Like they're not synonymous. Um, and just because a place is accessible, like I always say that, you know, if a place is accessible, it's like being invited to a party, but we've all been invited to a party and like, you're at the punch bowl, like texting being like, and like, no one gives a care, like, you know, but if you're really inclusive, then you're like out in the dance floor, someone grabs you by the hand and they're like, let's go, let's tear it up. And you feel like you belong there. There's a sense of belonging that comes with inclusion that doesn't go with accessibility necessarily. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's sort of uh, the framework of disability in the equity, diversity, inclusion world. And I wish that it had a better seat, but it's getting there. It's trying, but it's definitely lagging. Uh, significantly behind. Dang. Yeah. I love the, um, this time period of been telling people, like people ask how you are and you're like, wow, do you want to know? <laughs> but um, I got a minute. Yeah. Like, do we, could, should we sit down? Um, but I've been trying to say it's hard. It's not bad. It's hard. And like mm -hmm. those things aren't synonymous. Hard isn't synonymous with bad. And I think we do that so often. We make assumptions about language where accessible we equate to inclusive and that yeah. I love your example of the party because that's so real and also how many parties have I sat at the punch like not even texting because I hate fucking phones so I'm just like <laughs> drinking all the punch who drank all the that girl drank that all corner the punch. girl <laughs> yeah oh yeah and I mean one other thing too while we're on this like sort of language educator mode I always there are a few things that if we're ever talking about disability I just like to little nuggets that I just like want folks to hold on to. Um, but when we're talking about disability, I hope that, especially in, in whatever world we're talking about, right? We could be talking about it in the yoga world. We could be talking about it in the arts. We could be talking about it in business, whatever. Um, but there's two ways to sort of view disability. And there's two models. One is the medical model. And then the one that I operate out of, and hopefully we can get our world to operate out of is the social model. And a medical model of disability says um, the person with the disability is the problem and like they need to be fixed or cured or like we always need to help them and they're like dependent and they're, they can't, they're not capable and they can't make their own choices. And then the social model says, oh no, like the person with the disability is not the problem. The problem is that they live in a society that was not designed with them in mind. So it's like the world around you is the problem, not the disability. Um, and I think a lot of our, our, maybe the people that are older than us in our lives, parents, grandparents, whatever, grew up in a world where it was like, oh, we don't talk about that. Like, bless their heart. Like, they're so, like, we can't stare at them. We can't look at them. Like, we can't, like, get away, people. Um, and we have to really take a hard look at the way we view disability because, you know, we all make assumptions. We all have biases. But hopefully we can start seeing the world around us as an issue and not, you know, a wheelchair or a cane or a guide dog or, you know, an accommodation request. So just a little yeah. nugget for you. I love that. Thank you. Um, do you, do you still teach on the word disability? Like when you educate yeah. people, do you, you, yes. Yeah, so it's you a do big movement to say the word, right? So one of my favorite disability rights activists, his name's Lawrence Carter Long, and he's out with all the cool activists at Berkeley, but <laughs> he, uh, there's a big campaign called Say the Word, like say disability. There have been so many words created by non-disabled people to make themselves feel better about disability, which by the way, fun fact, you're either disabled or non-disabled. 
a lot of times we'll be like, oh, I'm able or whatever, but actually disabled people are pretty able. So if you're a fun, like little word for allies is, oh, I'm just a non-disabled, you know, woman or I'm a, you know, so that's a fun little nugget. But um, in terms of like language that I disabled and non-disabled is something I educate on a lot, but also just saying the word disability, right? Like even in the nineties, there were words that were created by non-disabled people like handy capable or like, I know gross, right? Um, or differently abled. And that one was like PC for a while until it wasn't, you know, it's, it's right. just like anything. We kind of have to learn how language changes over time and just be cool with like unlearning and relearning. Um, like I have low vision, but I grew up and I was told that I was visually impaired. So like, I still sometimes say visually impaired, even though the most inclusive word is low vision. So, you know, I mean, we're even, we all grew up with different language and we are constantly learning and relearning. And once we learn, like, once you know something, you can't unknow it. You just got to work to work it in. I think people get it and people struggle to change period, but I, I think people get really uh, nervous, myself included, about saying the wrong thing or, yeah. you know, people of color, do you, friend, do you call your friends who are black, black, or do you call them African-American? And I know it, it does show up a little bit more in the older generation, but I actually think our generation too gets a little butt clenchy when, they, when they're called out on it, you know? <laughs> but I think it's, it's no different than like, like language changes. Like we used to say shit like groovy, or peachy keen and like we don't say that shit anymore and like the f word like 20 years ago if you said the f word on a broadcast like you could have like there were parts of of time in history where you could be arrested for that shit yeah yeah you know and now it's like we say the f word like a like part of a normal sentence all the time actually my magnolia said it the other day and i was like I don't have an issue, but I probably can't send you to preschool like that. So <clears throat> yeah, I just, I think it's something that we have to like take the emotion out of it. It's just language changing and, and language always changes, which yeah. I do actually say groovy, but, but look at me, I would, you know what I mean? Yeah. I would bring a bra. Like, I would say that. So anyway. Um, okay. Thank you. So can you share a little bit about your personal experience as someone with low vision in the yoga community and can you also maybe zoom out a little bit because i think when we talk about disability we have to remember that's a really large topic just like race just like gender like just because you're black doesn't mean you have the same opinions and feelings as other black people just because i'm jewish same thing right so the same thing is true for disability and then on top of that you know you might have cp or you might have low vision so your capacities are different yeah. So could you talk about your experience and then that like broader view? Yeah. So it's interesting. I, um, I mean, I'd, I've gone to yoga class or whatever off and on since maybe high school, but I never was like a diehard <laughs> until I moved to New York and in like what, 2015. Um, I, it, when I, I had horrible migraines with low vision, it's just sort of part of the territory and like a lot of head and neck issues. And so I'd had doctors and, and I would go to all the woo woo kind of doctors, you know, like I'm like here for like, like give me craniosacral therapy. Like give me like, like let's go, let's take some weird vitamins. Like, you know, let's go. And so I'd had doctors in the past be like, look, this is really rough and it's going to be rough. But I think what I would prescribe for you is a, you know, twice weekly yoga class. And I was like, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I didn't listen because I was like, I want to go on runs because like, 
hashtag Broadway body, which is such a mess. Um, but anyway, so when I moved to New York, um, I had a friend invite me to a yoga studio that she said, Allie B, I think this is like, this is you. Like, it's like, you just like walked in here and threw up on the floor. Cause there's like glitter all over the floor. So I was like, neat, like I'm in. Um, and I went and it was the first time I had ever been to a yoga class that had like the harmonium and chanting and, and, and music and pranayama. And I mean, every, it was just so layered and like all of the, there were just so many limbs of yoga represented in the class that was, <laughs> come on limbs. Um, come on limbs. limbs. That wasn't just, you know, the physical practice. Um, and I was just so, I was like, what is this? Like, this is not yoga that I experienced in the South. That's for sure. It's not like, all right, y'all, we're going to do y'all. We're going to tailor this to, um, we're going to tailor this only to the things we believe in. And we're going to do a lot of push-ups. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, it was very different than I'd ever experienced. And so I was like, okay, I can get down with this. Like, this is pretty dynamic and fun. And when we got into it, it appealed to my little like dancer slash movement self because it just felt so fluid. And I was like, I'm actually like in my body. And I was like, other times when I work out, I'm trying to like run away from my body. So it was just a very interesting thing. Um, and there was no teacher also at this, there was no one in the front, like doing it. So for me, it was cool as someone with low vision, because I was just going on what I heard and like what I felt via hands-on cueing. Um, and like, you know, what I could see from the person in front of me. But other than that, I was like, okay, like, here we go. Which like, it might be a scary thing, but I actually really loved it because I based so much of things on what I hear. Um, and I found it more accessible that there wasn't someone like, okay, watch me. Because that's like the two worst words ever for me. Like, just look over here. I'm like, neat. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to turn my head and, <laughs> and yeah. I'm going to mind it for you. <laughs> I'm, I do a lot of this. So um, I, I was very fascinated anyway. I like, kept practicing, kept practicing. And I, I would tell the teachers at the beginning of every class, like, I have low vision. Um, I'm going to, you know, put my mat in the front few rows or whatever so I can see. And they were like, I mean, I don't think you'll need to worry about that. Because, again, the, the studio, like, they're not doing it. Um, so, but I was like, please feel free to give me hands on. I had a teacher in college, um, doing musical theater and dance. I had an amazing instructor who was a dance teacher, a modern dance teacher who would like work with me and like help me feel things physically, like with all these like different hands on cues and like we'd get on the floor and do like a certain leap, like but do it on the floor and like really feel it in our bodies. So I told the teachers at the studio, I was like, look, like, put your hands like just like let me know what this is if I'm really off like I, I have enough body awareness that I think I'll be good but whatever and so I sort of let the teachers know just like when you're a kid in school and you have to fight for your accommodations or like you have to give the little speech of like I need large print like I had to do that in my yoga classes um, but because I did that I got what I needed a lot of people with disabilities I mean it sucks to have to advocate for yourself all the time to be honest like it would be really nice to just like go one day without being like um, I have a thing, but whatever. I'm not going to like ruin my class experience. So anyway, I've continued to practice for a few years, ended up working at the front desk of multiple yoga studios in New York. So got that, uh, that swanky membership, <laughs> cleaned a lot of toilets and did a lot of chaturangas and, um, just fell in love with like the community aspect of yoga also. And like it, it, 
felt like kind of church to me. And I, I was just, I was here for it. I was going to Kirtans. I was, you know, going to workshops, learning about different, you know, prania. I mean, I was so into it. So then I got my teacher training, but, um, there are times when, when classes are, are really inaccessible. Um, cause I know you mentioned like the disability community at large. And I think the biggest pivot that I, if I could like bring all of these yogis and yoga community folks into a room, I would say to design classes with access in mind. So a lot of times accessibility is an afterthought. Um, and in reality, if you design with access in mind, it can be an asset. So like you have to see queuing with like uh, varieties of queuing, varieties of modifications, um, different, you know, ways of, of hands-on or tactile or like finding these different accessible ways into poses. Like for example, I mean, I can balance better on my head and, or on my hands and an arm balance than on in tree pose. Like that's just my reality as a person with low vision. So like if I'm doing a lot of balances on one leg, like you better believe I'm going to be by a wall because why, like if I'm trying to like chill out my little brain here, I don't need to be taking a nosedive every five seconds. I mean, I love falling, but like I'm going to give myself a class by a wall just in case. Like, and that's so much, sometimes I feel like that's seen as like, um, oh, like you're like, you need like a cop out or like, or like a, like, you know, like I always, I will always do Eagle pose with a block, um, next to my foot. So I can like rest my little foot on there because I'm like, if I want to go deeper, I can't do that. If my eyes are like fighting to do their job. Right. So like, I'm going to give myself and if I have disabled students in my classes or, you know, I'm working with like, I, cause I've now, you know, teach yoga to folks with low vision. And so I'm like, look, use what you got, like make a prop mountain, like let's go. But Oh, I always have a prop mountain, but like design your class with that in mind. So that way, like maybe the first thing you cue is the accessible way in and then you, you, you know, yeah. Interesting. Do you, so I guess with the time we have left, cause your time is precious and I want to honor that. Um, do you, are there questions? So, okay, wait, there, I have two questions. One is when is being inclusive? not inclusive, right? Like when is, when I offer everything I know no longer inclusive and just like not helpful. So that makes sense. And then what are some things when you said advocating for yourself all the time, like what is either a thought process we can have or questions we can ask so that I'm not having to wait for my students to advocate to me. I'm yeah. asking good questions either in the lobby. So maybe it's not in front of the class. Like, cause like one thing we talk about in our teacher training is like, it used to be very vogue to be like, okay, any injuries I need to know about? Well, holy fuck. Yeah. If someone's like, um, well, is this traumatized or <laughs> no one's raising their hand. Right. You know? Right. So what are, what are some, how is it that it might become exclusive if we're too inclusive? Like how yeah. can we frame it to be, inclusive in the right ways and then and then what are some ways we can either structure our thought patterns or ask good questions so our students don't have to keep advocating for themselves we advocate for them yes the easiest way in and i say this like in any like in, in when i talk to anyone be it like a business a, a person holding auditions like it doesn't matter so when people are signing up for class on your registration form 
have a place where you can say like, do you have any accessibility needs? Because that way they get to make the choice whether to disclose or not to disclose their disability. But let me tell you what, whenever I, like I've been to New York and I've been turned away at several acting studios um, because like, you know, just say I was doing on-camera acting, but I can't see the camera. Well, they're like, I can't teach you. Um, oh yeah, it's it's so fun. It's really wow. true. Um, but my, the studio that has really like pushed me and been the, the most hard-ass studio where I currently study or where I will study when I go back, um, it was the first time in my life. And I had been in New York for like three, four years at the time. And the teacher like wrote, you know, on the form, like, what do you need to be successful in class? Like, do you need, do you have any accessibility? Um, or like, I actually know now she says that because I make her do that. But before it literally just said on the form, like, is there anything else you want me to know? And I told her about my disability. And then the first day I was in class, all of my materials were in large print. And that had never happened to me in four years of being in New York. Um, so truly just having a space for your students to say like, I mean, I would frankly say, do you have any access needs? Because that gives, that puts them in charge. And like, it's not your responsibility to like figure it out. Um, but it makes you so relieved as a person with a disability to see that, that like someone's thought of you or like someone has taken the time to like do that. And then if someone does have those access needs, don't just be like Allie be the front desk girl and put it in mind body under notes and like pray that your teachers read it. Like make sure that whoever's teaching the classes is, is cool with it and like knows what's up. Or I mean, hopefully the person like, you know, maybe we'll have a talk with that teacher. But but if if that is stated ahead of time, like, and if a teacher came up to me and was like, hey, I saw that like, you have low vision. Is there any way I could help? You know, it, it doesn't feel intrusive. It actually is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really simple way in. It's really, it's, it gets to be overkill when like, you're the only student like getting special cues or attention or like, like my best teachers let me fall all over the place. Yeah. You know, like, I, I mean, I was just telling you before we recorded this that I was, you know, doing an inversion workshop last night and like definitely forward rolled out of some, <laughs> some, poses like whatever forearm stand I was like oh going down and like thank god for zoom because like there wasn't like the loud noise but um <laughs> we were on mute but like you know I, I like was talking to my teacher afterwards and I was like what a neat moment that was it was like take a tumble and she was like yeah like but what's new you know because like you also just have to give them the space to figure things out in their own bodies because it's going to be different and it's, it's good I mean of every everyone's practice is different in their body but giving them space but also not being afraid to be like Oh, I, if they, if they tell you what you need, A, believe them and B, be like, Hey, like what's up. And once you have a relationship with that student, like you won't have to ask them all the time. You'll just know, or if they're taking eight blocks, you'll just be like, neat. Like taking eight blocks today, like four straps, six bolsters. Like she's making a castle. It's fine. <laughs> I think uh, with that, I have so much opportunity to continue to be more inclusive and would it, reminds me of in my limited experience is that when I have pregnant students, like when I was pregnant, I didn't want to take a prenatal class. Like that's just not my practice, but I did need a little help, you know, and, and most people don't know much about how to serve pregnant people, which is fine, but pregnancy is considered a disability in the United States, which is hilarious. So anyway, um, you know, no one would say anything to me. They're just like, well, obviously you're carrying a 20 pound weight in your belly, but we're going to ignore you. And I've tried to take up the practice of when someone, when I know someone's pregnant, I don't say like, Allie B, this is for you. But instead I'm like, if you are 
carrying a small child in your belly, either from lunch or for six months now, try this, you know, and I'll try not to call them out because also something interesting about pregnancy is similar to disability. It might not be visible. You yeah. might have a disability that people don't know. Everybody else doesn't know about. Yep. But to like call you, you out and like Allie B, the low vision woman in the room. <laughs> like no. take a kickstand for your tree pose. Just kickstand. Um, no. Well, and what, what I love is one of my favorite teachers will always be like, and here's like, like she'll demo, demo something or maybe, maybe if it's a, a new pose or like a peak pose or something, but then she'll be like, and here's a really accessible way in. And then mm -hmm. like, I'll look at her and be like, you know, but, <laughs> or like, sh or, you know, subtle things like this. Right. Because again, my disability, like you might know it, like some days I'm real cross-eyed and some days I'm not. So like, it's fine. But like, if, if there's a demo happening, Oh, guess where we're all going to watch the demo on my mat like she'll get on my mat and do it you know like there's so many little subtle ways in or like you'll get it you'll give someone a hands-on or like you know if you have someone you know who needs to be closer to you as a teacher like maybe if you have someone who is like lowercase d deaf or you know has hearing loss like you're not going to amble around the room the whole time like there's just certain situations where you might not see the disability but yeah they're easy easy fixes that don't involve like the like <laughs> you know well i also think bringing it full circle this this idea of like being in the void is stripping down the assumptions like yoga has become this thing for white able-bodied you know cisgender heteronormative females and it's stripping it back down, which I think actually as a yoga teacher, that's going to force me to be a better teacher yeah. um, to live in the space where like of true equality, which is like anything is possible. So teach, teach to the possibility, not to the narrow margin that we've established as the norm, which is actually like the most narrow margin of them all. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I do want to respect your time, but I cannot thank you enough. This has been so helpful. And I hope, I hope everyone listens to this, but I hope yoga teachers, because we need to lead the way to be better. Um, is there anything, any last like mo moment you want to have? Do you want to have a moment or like anything you want to say? I mean, I feel like we've had so many moments <laughs> in, in this time, but <laughs> I think we were talking about like our lives. I was like, yeah, we, we really have. We've had a lot of moments. Um, really really tender times but um tender. if i know um if <laughs> um if anyone listening watching etc wants to know more or wants to connect like please do because i could talk about this like a lot of people with disabilities again are like i don't want to talk about this like i'm so annoyed or like this is really obnoxious or like please don't talk about it but like if you say the word disability, my like little ears like go up. So like, I'm here to talk about it and get really uncomfortable with you because like, we're all like yogis. So we like are working on our <laughs> sitting with uncomfortableness. Um, or at least I pray we are. Uh, <laughs> um, but how do people contact you? What's the best way to reach out? Um, find me on the gram y'all, um, at Allie BG on Instagram, or just email me. I have a little inclusion related email. So it's inclusion at alliebgory.com and hit me up and we can talk and, and text and, you know, DM slide or, in. Uh, or voice text. Yeah. I love a voice memo. So if I get a voice memo from like a, a phantom voice from Indy, I'll know that you listen to the podcast. You listen. Um, so, 
amazing, but I would love to, to hear what you think. Well, Ali, I love you so much. Thank you for the work you're doing in the world. You are- you too, what a treat. I mean, seriously, what a forking treat. Thank you so, so much. I love you. Reach out to Ali B. She's a genius, genius. Um, and I'm gonna turn this off so I can talk to you as a human now. So thanks, Practice Indy. Ali.